turn into 1 John 1 John 1 I will pray before we read God's word Almighty God let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, Amen. So 1 John 1 and verse 5, we'll just read verses 5 to 7. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. We're continuing to work our way, that's the only the second, in our study of John's first letter and then the two even smaller letters of 2nd and 3rd John that follow it. Last week when we started looking at it we said that John in his letter shows us how the Christian life expresses itself doctrinally, relationally and morally. That is how it expresses itself in the truth that we believe in the love that we show for one another in the church, the commitment that we show to our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, as well to those who are neighbours outside of the body of Christ, in the way that we live in accordance with God's precepts and God's word. And the Christian life manifests itself in those ways. It shows itself in those ways. And John makes that point in this book, but he makes that point in this book because there are people who are troubling that congregation with false teaching. And there were, we looked at that last time. People were telling them, for instance, that as long as they believe in God, it does not matter what they think about Christ. It does not matter how they live. And it does not matter whether they're in fellowship with one another or with the apostles. So John responding to those particular false teachings in that local congregation manages not only to rebut and refute those false teachings but to give us something of lasting, of enduring value for the living of the Christian life in our own time because the kind of issues he addresses in 1 John are the issues that are pressing upon us. So in the course of his letter he explores what it means to be a Christian, what a Christian looks like how can you tell a real Christian from someone who merely professes to be a Christian? And he deals with the issue of how you can gain assurance that you are a child of God. And fewer books, few books provide a timely diagnostic for Christianity and the Christian life in our day than 1 John. So I'm delighted to study it with you. In the first four verses, John responded to the concerns of the congregation because they were unsettled by these false teachers. And the false teachers claimed to be telling the truth, even though what they were teaching was different from what John had taught and the other apostles with him. 
So John, in the opening verses, reminded them that the gospel doesn't change. Why? Because it's rooted in God. It is from eternity. And he reminds them that John had learned the gospel from Jesus himself. So John uniquely was able to say, I knew Jesus, I touched Jesus, I heard Jesus. This is what Jesus taught. You can be confident of it. And that word is no less comforting to us today than it was to that first beleaguered congregation when they heard those words of truth and grace. Now, as we said, in this passage, John is responding to the first of these three errors that have been taught by false teachers. And you can see each of those three errors in his repeated phrase, if we say, so verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And these are those three false teachings that have been propounded in this congregation that John is about to respond to. From verse 5 all the way down to chapter 2 and verse 10. But in the passage that I read this afternoon, verses 5 to 7, John has three things to say in response to that first error. Firstly, the first error is verse 6, that if we say that we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And he has three things to say in verses 5, 6 and 7 about that error. The first thing he says in verse 6 is about who God is. God is light. The second thing he has to say is about those who claim to fellowship with that God of light, but walk in darkness. They claim to have fellowship with the God of light, but walk in darkness. They lie, is the second thing. They're hypocrites. They say one thing with their mouth and live another thing totally altogether. And the third thing in verse 7 is a description of what the normal Christian life looks like. It looks like the pursuit of holiness. It looks like fellowship, mutual accountability to the people of God. And it requires the ongoing forgiveness of sins. We're not instantaneously perfected. We need the forgiveness of sins. So those are the three things that John has to say in response to this error. Let's look at those things one by one. First of all, God is light. God is light. Therefore, a life bent towards darkness shows we don't have fellowship with him. In verses 5 to 6, John, interestingly, begins to respond to this error by talking theology. John talks what theologians call theology proper. Theology proper is theology that has to do with God. Who God is, what God is like. If you have a systematic the theology, the first section is about God, theology proper. It deals with things like the names of God, the attributes of God, the characteristics of God, the works of God, creation, providence, redemption. And it's interesting that John responds to this ethical error in the church by telling people, taking people to who God is. And he says that God is light, which is really important. And in that he reminds us of a very important truth that the Christian life flows from what you really believe God is. 
What do you really believe God is? Who do you really believe God is? What you really believe God is like will work itself out in the way that you live your Christian life. So he makes the announcement that God is light. And we know that God is light. God is light. There is light. There is clarity with God. Now light is an image that we are all familiar with, even from the hymns. Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eyes of sinful man they glory may not see, God is light. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes, most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days. Almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. Great Father of glory, pure Father of light, thine angels adore thee, all veil in their sight. All praise we would render, oh, help us to see, tis only the splendour of light. So the image of light is common in the Old and New Testament. And the image of light is used to stress different truths about God. But here, John wants us to bring home to our hearts that God is absolutely morally pure and perfect. He is light. We often use light and darkness that way. We often talk, don't we, even... Not necessarily only Christians would talk about the darkness of a person's heart. And that's never a compliment. If someone says how very dark your heart is, it's not a compliment. And it, but it usually means that we're speaking about an aspect of sin, where they're entangled, some moral depravity which is expressing itself. But when we talk about light, when we talk about somebody shining, or the lightness and the light that shines from people's lives. It is always good. It is always good. And God is making, John is making the assertion that God is holy. God is pure. Only God is perfect in his justice and his character. And he makes that statement because he, he, John is wanting to drive home the truth. That if you're going to fellowship with God, if you're going to fellowship with him, commune with him, it, there has to be that dramatic change from a life of sin. You cannot, and I'm talking really in your heart, live a life that's bent towards sin and away from God, and then fellowship with God, who is light. Sin is always done in the darkness. Sin is always sordid. Sin is always shameful. You don't tell people about it. Parents, that, children don't tell parents. Because sin is always in the darkness, God is always in the light. God is light, so therefore a life that is bent toward darkness proves we have no fellowship with him. Because God is pure, our, the lives that, that reflect no desire for purity betray their lack of fellowship with God. And I think those in public life, I mean, you, you know, if somebody is living a completely immoral life, but then they claim to be a Christian. The two things don't, 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 they don't, they don't meet, they don't come together. Because if God is light, if God is morally pure, those lives that reflect no desire at all for purity betray their lack of fellowship with the God who is light. 
to claim to have fellowship with a God who is light, a God who is pure, and live in contradiction of that light, reveals hypocrisy. But John is also stressing that a life that is lived in a Godward direction, a Godward trajectory, a life that is spent pursuing holiness, a life which manifests a person's heart's desire. We're not perfect, but a life that is pointed towards a heart desire to be holy, to be like our Father. That kind of life reveals God's grace. And correspondingly, a life that is lived away from God towards sin shows a lack of grace in the heart. And just as life lived in a Godward direction shows God's work of grace in the heart, a life bent away from God shows the lack of God's work of grace in the heart. So he begins with who God is in order to show us that anyone who says that you can live however you want, in sin, in morality, and still be in fellowship with God, doesn't really know about the God of the Bible. And that's why he starts out the way he does in verse 5. But he follows up that point in verse 6. The second thing I want you to see, he talks about hypocrisy. The idea that we can have fellowship with God, even while walking in immorality, is a false teaching. He talks about hypocrisy. He specifically responds to this teaching that he introduces with the words, if we say. If we say that we can have fellowship with God while walking in immorality, we're not telling the truth. It doesn't matter whether it's ever so politically correct. It doesn't matter whether it's ever so trendy with the times. But if we say that we can have fellowship with God who is light and walk in immoral, immoral sin, we're not telling the truth. It is a lie. It's a false teaching. It's a false doctrine. If someone in the church says, we're saved by grace, we can live as we like. We're saved by grace, it doesn't matter if I'm pursuing holiness or not. We're saved by grace, I don't have any responsibility to obey God's word anymore. We're saved by grace, obedience doesn't factor into my vocabulary and my experience. John says that is false teaching. The idea that we can have fellowship with God while walking in immorality is false teaching. The language is so similar to James. John says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. James says, James 2.17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's not true faith. John is saying if we claim to have fellowship with God, our lives fundamentally contradict that claim, we do not have fellowship with God, we are hypocrites. And this is a vitally important issue, not only for that congregation in Asia Minor, but for us. Because it is easy to make a profession of faith in Christ, even be baptised, even be a participating member in some manner in a local church and live a life that it isn't bent towards God. And that struggle is not a struggle that waits till you're of a certain age or out of education or you've got married or you have children or starting a career. It starts at the beginning of profession. 
Young people have this struggle all the time. Will you live a life toward God or will you live a life away from him? There's only two ways to live, toward God or away from him. And every time you're tempted to sell out in your commitment to Christ in order to be popular, which is a huge challenge, in order to say things that makes you popular in the world, if, if you're selling out your commitment to Christ, or to have the type of friends that everyone else has, you've been faced with this challenge. Is your life toward God, or is it toward your temporal, which is only temporary, self-interest, popularity, own agendas, own priorities? The struggle starts early. And John is not letting you off the hook here. He's saying, so what if you've made a profession of faith? If your life contradicts that profession, your profession is false. And that's a challenge for all of us. Not only for young people in school or university, a challenge for all of us. Do we live, live under the Lordship of Christ? Is he the Lord of our dealings? Is he the Lord of the way we relate to one another? Do we fellowship with one another, bearing one another's burdens, encouraging one another to faith and hope and trust in God? Are we living under God's Lordship in our lives? Are we living as if growth and grace and godliness are not necessary or important? John is saying it's important that the life of the professing believer is the life bent towards the God who is light. God's promises are the desires of our hearts. God's commands we love. We long to do the duty that he's given to us. We long to be like him. We want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not simply want to conform in the way that we dress or the way that we think or the way we act to the prevailing attitudes of the world around us. No, we march to the beat of a different drum. We want to be like him. We want to behave as he has called us to in his word. So John is pressing home the point. If your profession of faith points one way, and your life the other, then it's an infallible proof that you're a hypocrite. Now John is not saying, if you're not perfect, you're not a Christian. He makes that point so clear. The Christian life isn't a life of perfection. It's a life of struggle, within and without, with temptation and sin. It is a life we continue to need the forgiveness of sin. We need to pray for the forgiveness of sin. We need to confess our sins and we need to pray for forgiveness. And he speaks about that in verse 7. Is your life bent in that direction? Is your desire to grow in grace? Do you long to be godly? Does sin make you unhappy? Because you know that sin is displeasing to God and it fractures that relationship, that fellowship with him and with others. Or is sin something that you can't that you can't rest in, you cannot be satisfied in. You long to please God. If that is you, that, that struggle is there, your life is bent towards God. I'd like to know that life is bent towards God. Twice I've had my, you know, my children say to me, what is the unforgivable sin? I think I've committed it. And I say, well, the fact that you're asking the question tells me you haven't. 
Because you're concerned. You're concerned. There's a tenderness in your heart that makes ultimately that you don't want to displease God. You want to please him. But if being like God, if being holy, if being separated out and committed to him and his people, even if it costs you in this life, costs you friends, costs you reputation, costs you, costs you financially, costs you materially, if, 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 not, if being holy is not your chief concern, you're contradicting your profession. So John is asking us to search our lives and to analyse are our lives matching what we profess. His catchphrase, if we want to give him a catchphrase in verse 6, would be, do the truth. John would say, do not tell me you believe the truth. Don't tell me, even ever so earnestly, that you believe the truth. Do the truth. And John is definitely not playing down the importance of believing the truth. His gospel's about believing the truth. That's all he says, believe the truth, believe the gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But John is saying here, don't just tell me you believe the truth, do the truth. John is saying you are what you do. Your lives will reveal whether you believe the truth you claim to believe. Your lives will show if you have fellowship with God. That's the second thing John has to say. The third thing is in verse 7, is almost a catalogue of what the normal Christian life looks like. And it's this, it's quite, a big, it's quite a mouthful, but if we live a life of moral purity by grace, we evidence his work of grace in us and are enabled to have fellowship with one another even while God continues to forgive our many sins through Christ. In verse 7 he says, the way that we manifest true fellowship with the living God is that we walk in the light, we pursue holiness. We fellowship with one another. We recognise the means of grace and fellowship within the body of Christ. And we do not take lightly separating ourselves from the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In other words, because we're walking with God does not mean that we no longer need forgiveness of sins. To the contrary, the normal Christian life will entail being forgiven for sin daily. That's why we confess our sins to the Lord personally and when we come together. It's why I trust that we confess our sins each day as you adore, as you are devoted to Christ and you thank God for his forgiving grace through the the Lord Jesus Christ and intercede for your family, intercede for the world. Cry for forgiveness. We confess our sins. Why? Because the normal Christian life involves forgiveness of sins. If we go through life and we think that we do nothing, we do everything right, and that we don't need forgiveness of sins, (laughs) we need forgiveness for that. Because the normal Christian life is forgiveness of sins. And the outlines is three-part Christian life. Pursue holiness, pursue fellowship, and being forgiven of sins. And John is saying when we live that kind of life, where we pursue holiness, where we pursue fellowship with one another, and as God forgives our sins through Christ, we are demonstrating, we are manifesting that we are in fellowship with God. 
that kind of life, where we pursue holiness, where we pursue fellowship, and where we are often asking God to forgive our many sins, we're manifesting that we are in fellowship with God. It is interesting, he does not say, did you make a decision, or did you pray a prayer, or did you sign a card, or even were you baptised? No, he says, what does your life tell me about your faith? Reality. And I want you to understand in verse 7, he's not saying that if you're holy, then God will forgive you. If you're holy enough, God will show grace to you. That's not John's point at all. His point is simply this. If you have trusted in Christ alone for salvation as he is offered to you in the gospel, if you've been saved by mercy alone through Christ's work and not your own, then your life will usher forth in a life which is consistent with what you have professed to believe. He's not saying if you're holy enough, God will forgive you. Be holy enough and then you'll fellowship with one another. He's saying that your pursuits of holiness, your fellowship with other believers, your mutual accountability to them, your love for them, your love for the church, your ongoing forgiveness of sins, are manifestations of the true Christian life that flows from trusting in Christ alone for salvation as he is offered to you in the gospel. And he's saying that the life of faith issues forth in a life of obedience, of trust, of fellowship, and for forgiveness. Paul says in Ephesians 2, right after he had said, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast, he goes on to say, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, we were made for holiness. We were saved for godliness. You were not only saved by God in order that you could be declared righteous in Christ, but also that God could work in you the grace of his Son so that you are conformed into his image. So John is saying, how do I know? How do I know a Christian? I see a person who's pursuing God, who is pursuing holiness, who is pursuing godliness, who's in fellowship with other believers, who knows that the ongoing forgiveness of sins we all need in the Christian life because we're not perfect and we stumble. So what does John's diagnostic there say about you today? Is your profession empty or is it real? We stumble many times, but it's the bent of our lives towards holiness, fellowship, and asking for forgiveness of sins. Is the bent of our lives towards God or is it away from Him? That's the question that John is pressing on us today. By God's mercy, let us all answer it right for His glory and for our eternal good. Amen.